Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. And yes, we're back. It's been a while. We took several weeks off because we had a, an intimacy series that we didn't feel was appropriate to podcast on marriage and relationships. Then we had several weeks on a DVD series where man, the video lasted 20, 25 minutes and so it didn't make a lot of sense to podcast that either. But now we're back to a more traditional style series. We're going to be doing Romans for five weeks. Today I'm actually going to be teaching an introduction to Romans. We're going to be looking at who wrote Romans, why did they write it, and why is it still relevant today. Uh, we're also going to look at, over the next four weeks that follow, uh, what N.T. Wright calls uh, that Romans is sort of like a symphony with four movements. And so we're going to look at the four movements of Romans each week, one after another. So chapters 1 through 4, 5 through 8, 9 through 11, and then 12 through 16. And I think it will be a really great opportunity to understand Romans more from a 20 or 30,000 foot view than, you know, kind of digging in through each verse. Uh, an excellent book that goes without saying. Some would say it is perhaps the greatest book of the New Testament. I'm very excited to, to learn more about it and to teach more about it with you this morning. So let's get started. I'm sure you'll be glad to know that we are back on the podcast. David, Grant, some of the fans of the podcast, excited to be back with you guys. Trey actually listens to the podcast, so Trey, this will be recorded, uh, although you're here today. Uh, I did want to talk about something that's like a little bit culturally relevant. So this is not an introduction to Romans. There's no geopolitics in this. I'm sorry. Um, but I wanted to talk about what's a serious topic. And it's like a real bummer of a topic to jump into as an intro, but I'm just going to do it anyway. And it's a topic of suicide. Okay. All right. So this week, it's been really uh, on the news a lot. And so we've had a couple famous people who've committed suicide just this week. And it goes without saying is, is that it, it's a little silly that we only focus on things when famous people do it. But I think it is an opportunity by which uh, it starts sort of a national dialogue on topics. And so we had Kate Spade, we had uh, Anthony Bourdain. It was a few weeks ago that uh, the DJ Avicii, I feel silly saying the name, but Avicii, uh, he, he committed suicide. Um, I think it's becoming clear that people less and less often want to live in this world, okay? I think there are many reasons for that. I think we could kind of like dig into, well, why is that? Is this just the reality of the world or is it just the perception of the world? Um, but I think people are losing hope and purpose. And I think when you get to that point, suicide is an escape from that. So I, I think we, we understand that. Let's look a little bit at the statistics of that just to kind of start this conversation. When we look at depression, anxiety, things like that. We've alluded to this a lot. I think we're all probably aware of this, but when you look at the numbers, it is pretty alarming. Certainly when we get to suicide, it's, I think, even more alarming. So when you're looking for statistics on depression, anxiety, it's tough because how do you, how do you figure that out, right? Um, but the World Health Organization did this. This has been a few years ago. So this was from 1990 to 2013. But there were 416 people, 416 million people worldwide who uh, had depression and anxiety in 1990. 23 years later, it's, it's almost 200 million more. Um, that's pretty crazy. We look at suicide rates. This is from a study that just came out recently. Uh, the CDC did this, and uh, there's, a, there's a couple shocking things that you'd find. And this is a schematic of the United States, if you haven't figured that out. Uh, what you'll see is that these are numbers of suicides over these two years, from 14 to 16, per 100,000 people in these areas. And so what you see in certain states, there's certainly more of those. So this only equates to like, I think, 0.03% of people, but that's still a lot. And so you would see you know, 30 people per every 100,000 are, are committing suicide in that period of time. It's actually 45,000 deaths in the United States in 2016, 45,000. That's, uh, I think, the number two leading gun death 
So homicides will be first, but suicides follows right behind it. Um, here is, though, I think maybe tells a little bit deeper story about suicide. This is the increase, okay, the percentage change. And so to kind of establish that this is something that's becoming more and more of an issue, what you'll see here is this is from 99 to 2016. How much has suicide increased or decreased? And there's actually only one state where it's decreased in that span of time, and it's Nevada. So I don't know if we should all live in, live in Nevada or move there. It's great in Nevada, apparently. They just got a hockey team. They just got a football team. I don't know. Um, but every other state's literally increasing. You see also in states like Vermont and New Hampshire where they have the opioid crisis. They've got the heroin epidemic. Suicide rate is up almost 40 to 60%. And that's incredible. It's really sad. You look at Tennessee, it's up somewhere 12 to 20%. Okay? Um, so it goes without saying that, that suicide is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Anxiety is on the rise. I think without even looking at numbers, we're sort of like aware of that. It just seems like a thing that we hear more and more about. I had a, a team member who, um, someone in her family tried to commit suicide a week or two ago. We had a parent of a patient who committed suicide. Um, this was two, three weeks ago and uh, had, you know, had multiple kids and just a really just tragic, tragic thing. And so it just seems like it's a conversation that just keeps coming up. And uh, obviously we don't want it to. Uh, and so in this CDC study, there is uh, the uh, lead author. She's a behavioral scientist. Her name is Deborah Stone. And uh, what she was looking at is this idea, and this is the narrative that we hear, is, is that, you know, so let me ask this. What do you feel like people give as the number one reason why people commit suicide? What's sort of like the narrative right now? And I may get the answer I'm not looking for, and that's okay. But what, what are people saying kind of more often than not? Mental health, that was the answer I was looking for. Thank you, Grant, for being the first to speak. Yeah, mental health, I think, is kind of the chosen narrative right now, that it's a mental health issue. It's the same thing with school shootings. Um, and I wanna say, too, I'm not trying to be like glib about, these are like really serious topics, school shootings, suicide, all this sort of stuff. Um, there's a lot that goes into that. If you're struggling with that, let someone know. I'm not trying to make less of it. But mental health is the answer that's given most commonly. Um, I'm not trying to say it's not mental health, but I thought it was interesting that in this study they found that 54% of the people who killed themselves did not have a previously known mental health issue. So 54% had never had anything to do with mental health. Now maybe they did it in secret or maybe it was undiagnosed, but what the point that she's making is that it's not usually mental health. And so what she says it is is that instead these folks were suffering from other issues such as relationship problems, substance misuse, physical health problems, job or financial problems and recent crises or things that were coming up in their lives that they were anticipating. So you could make the argument that it's not mental health, it's not that there's something wrong with them, it's that they have stuff going on in their life that has caused them to reach a point where they, they don't wanna go on with life. They, they have lost hope, uh, they're stressed out, there's a lot of anxiety, they're depressed, and it's like, what's the point? I might push a little bit further, and I think that's the point of today, to say that there may be a loss of truth, there may be a loss of true purpose, and there may be a loss of true hope. And uh, I do want to get into this, though. We want to look at one more expert, and I'm going to kind of pick on her, okay? So this is Professor uh, Julie Cyril. She is the president of the American Association of Suicidology. We're talking suicide, Carters, so welcome. Um, <clears throat> and so she would be a leading expert on suicide and suicide prevention. And uh, she says this, and experts would agree, that we need to learn how to process and cope with uh, anxiety and depression to, to reduce suicides. No one would disagree with that. We gotta learn how to cope with things that happen. Uh, but this is her quote on kind of one of her answers. Again, a leading expert, this is one of her answers on how we learn how to cope and, and deal with these things. Okay, so she says, 
If things go bad in your life, what do you do? Are there things you can do to distract yourself in the moment? Can you look at pictures of your kids or watch funny cat videos? Those funny cat videos can't keep someone alive, but they can calm people down to then use other coping strategies. Okay, so if you missed it, the answer from the president of the American Society of Suicidology, an expert in the field, says the way to avoid suicides is cat videos. Okay, funny cat videos. Um, cat videos. Okay, I know that's not all she was saying, and I'm not just trying to pick on her, but if our best answer to people being depressed and anxious to the extent that they commit suicide, if our best answer is cat videos and distractions, I think we have a problem. Okay, I think it's a serious problem. Maybe she would retract on that a little bit and say, well, that's not exactly what I was saying. But she said, and I read that, and that was like in a quote, it was like a, like a lead quote in this, in this story. Like that was like, yeah, yeah, watch more cat videos. Um, I saw a tweet where a guy was talking about uh, suicide and how I had a friend that had not committed suicide because he saw someone in a Buzz Lightyear costume or something. And like, okay. And I'm sure there are examples where that's like the case where something weird is just like, well, that's weird. Why would I in my life now, but I gotta say to you that that is not what's gonna sustain life for people. That's not what's gonna sustain hope and purpose for people is some random event, a cat video, someone dressed up in a Buzz Lightyear costume randomly, right? Uh, we can't put our hope in that, all right? Okay, so I'd also say this, hey guys. Um, I think like things right now are tough in the United States. Like we would, we would say that, like things are pretty rough, you know? People don't get along politically, like we're in a lot of arguments. Um, people are more stressed out, people are more depressed. When we look at Romans and we consider when that was written, first century Rome, I think I might say that it was a little bit tougher for them, okay? And so I would like to think that as we study these people over the next five weeks and the time in which Paul was writing this, that there's maybe something we can glean from this, okay? That if there was something that in the midst of being persecuted, being like set on fire, being put into the Colosseum, that these people still sustained and kept hope and stayed positive such that Christianity spread around the world, that we might be able to gain something from that, okay? Because to be honest, I think we're a little bit spoiled if we're turning to suicide in the midst of what is actually one of the most comfortable and richest times in human history, okay? If I lost you along the way, I'm sorry. I know it's serious stuff and we're starting with it. And Grant is giggling about something and it's distracting me a lot. It's okay. Um, all right, so. He's got a cat video, so he's good, people. Don't, don't worry about him. Um, all right, so let's look at Romans. And uh, this is going to be just a quick introduction. We've got a little video we're going to go through with, with uh, these little posters that I think will be helpful. Um, I think first, though, let's look at the significance of Romans. So David alluded to it. He stole just all my thunder uh, there. I've got a quote from Jimmy Allen. I'm just kidding. I took Jimmy Allen's Romans class, and it was exceptional. It was the best class I ever took in college. It was great. Every day was like a hellfire and brimstone sermon uh, from start to finish. Um, but a couple other uh, major theologians have spoken about Romans, and so uh, let's see what they have to say. So N.T. Wright, you may know him. He's a pretty famous uh, theologian. He says that Romans is neither a systematic theology nor a summary of Paul's life work, but it is by common consent his masterpiece. It dwarfs most of his other writings, an alpine peak towering over hills and villages. Not all onlookers have viewed it in the same light or at the same angle, and their snapshots and paintings of it are sometimes remarkably unalike. Not all climbers had taken the same route up its sheer sides, and there is frequent disagreement on the best approach. What nobody doubts is that we are dealing with a work of massive substance presenting a formidable intellectual challenge while offering a breathtaking theological and spiritual vision. Okay, I wish I could write like that. That's great. 
couple more. This is uh, Jack, uh, is it Cottrell, I think? Uh, he's a famous Church of Christ author, philosopher, theologian. He says that the book of Romans may be the most read and most influential book of the Bible, but sometimes it is the most neglected and most misunderstood book. And then Martin Luther, who wrote, um, he wrote a, a, like a commentary on Romans. This was in his introduction, he said, of Romans. This epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word by word, by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. We can never read it or ponder over it too much, for the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. All right, so that's why we're studying Romans. Hopefully that gets you excited. All right, authorship. This is a really quick section because it's like super obvious that Paul wrote it. Um, I think in the past there were some critics to maybe him writing it, but uh, as Cranfield says, no responsible criticism disputes its Pauline origin. So Paul wrote it. Uh, what would you tell me about Paul if you're given like a like an elevator, like someone asks you like who's Paul? What would you say? Give, give me like Paul's thirty second bio. From the Bible, that Paul. Some call him Saint Paul. There you go. John Mays with the win. Great job, John. Thank you. Yeah, born in Tarsus, raised in Jerusalem. He was trained by Gamaliel, who was like this, in that time, like the biggest Pharisee that there was, really well respected. And uh, in Acts 26, Paul said that he was of the strictest sect of our religion. So he was a Pharisee's Pharisee, if you will. It's really good. So then on Damascus, on that road, he saw Jesus. And Jesus, I think it's interesting as a kid, you learn the apostles, right? Some churches would, would insist on calling them the disciples, but whatever. And then there was like this extra one added on. So it was like, you know, there's Matthias too, but like you'd almost like you'd subtract Judas and you'd like put Paul in there. Like, well, wait, 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 how did he get to be an apostle? Because he like wasn't there. Um, but the reason is, is that Jesus picked him to, to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay, so he's an apostle in that sense. And so he was given this role or this task. And so he's an apostle in that way. I think the interesting thing about, uh, about Paul, hey guys, is, is that he is both a Christian and a Jew, okay? And so he has a unique opportunity as, as being, again, a Pharisee's Pharisee or like, you know, a big prominent Jewish person and also a Christian. Uh, so when he talks about uh, law and grace, he understands both sides intimately. So he understands the law side. He also under understands the grace side. All right, so let's talk really quickly about the place and the time of writing. Who likes history? Like, who, who gets excited about history stuff? Seven or eight people? Okay. I saw, like, a reluctant, like, eh, there are worse things. You know, I hate, I hate cauliflower, but history's okay. Um, I, I'm just kidding. I, it's kind of lame to raise your hand. Yeah, okay, hello. Yeah, history's fine. Um, now, if I'd ask, like, about a, like, like, who likes football? Ugh, football. Um, yeah, so I like history a little bit more than that level. Uh, you like football, right? You would have, like, no? Okay. I'll shut up. <laughs> so I like history. I think it allows us to understand when this was written, under what context it was written. I think that's super important. You like history. You teach history. Okay. I would hope so. I would really hope so. Um, you hate it. He's so tired of it. He's over it. Um, where it was written was probably Corinth. Okay. And it was probably written in the house of a guy named Gaius. All right. I don't know who he is. You know anything about him? Just a name? Am I pronouncing it correctly? Is it Gaius? Gaius? Okay. And then there's a guy named Tertius. Does anyone know what an amanuensis is other than David? Secretary. Secretary. There you go. So he also would have had, so imagine, 
for a second. If you need to close your eyes, that's good. Uh, we're in Corinth, all right? Have you been to Corinth? I've never been there. Um, you're at the house of Gaius, and there's this other dude with Paul, maybe in a room, named Tertius. And Tertius is the guy that writes this stuff down, that helps him. And so maybe Paul dictates, you know, verse 6 of chapter 3, and Tertius writes it down. Okay, so this is amanuensis. We think that maybe Paul had some vision issues, maybe wasn't able to write himself. There's a part where, it, you know, in his own hand he writes, and so we think... You know, maybe he just either wasn't able to write very well or he had some vision issues, something like that. So he had Tertius with him. All right, so now in terms of the years, we've got this, just to kind of throw this out here. So 49 AD, we have Emperor, Emperor Claudius, so not a good guy, not a nice guy. He has something called the Edict of Claudius where the Jews are forced out of Rome, okay? We don't exactly know why, but probably some infighting, some disturbances caused by the Jews, and they're kicked out of Rome. So not all the Jews leave Rome, but a good portion of them do. Then when Nero comes into power in 54 AD, we all know Nero, that edict is done away with. So a bunch of Jews come back in at that time. So if you can imagine at that time where a bunch of Jews are coming back into the city, uh, that would have been an issue somewhat. So it would have created some stress, not just for Romans and pagans who would have been like, well, who are all these people coming in and why are they different and all this kind of stuff, but also for Christians who were Gentiles. So now their churches, you know, it's like you show up to church and there's all these like new people and they've got different uh, traditions and standards and you don't like it. And so when Paul speaks to these issues of Jews and Gentiles, this is kind of the context to which he is speaking, okay? Now for a little bit more uh, context for what it's worth, um, we think Romans was written again right around that time, 55 to 57 AD. This would have been towards the end of Paul's life. I think he died maybe 66 AD, somewhere around there. Um, We've also got things that get bad for the Jews, okay? And that ultimately leads to, to Paul being killed. So in 64 AD, Rome is burned. You know that story, Nero fiddled, they say. And apparently it was Nero's fault. I don't know all that history. But he blamed it on who? Blamed it on the Jews, on the Christians, yeah. Christians, that's right. Um, and so then things got really bad. Does anyone know what this is from? Dave, you're just killing it. Anyone who's not an elder could answer this question. <laughs> Do you know what it's from? You know, that's um, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, they ransacked, the Romans ransacked the temple. They used the menorah and uh, some of those things that they yep. brought back to Rome. Yeah, this is a relief on the Arch of Titus uh, in Rome. And so you can still see it today. You can walk up there and look at it. We went and looked at it. It was really hot out there in the Roman Forum, I think. And what you see is, this is AD 70. These are the Jews carrying away the items of the temple after it's been destroyed. Okay, so not a good time. And we're like right leading up into that time. Okay, um, also for further uh, perspective, again, if you like history, all right, Jesus was probably crucified. We would always think probably at 33 AD, maybe more like 28 AD, because I think we got our years wrong a little bit. Paul was converted, let's say, five to seven years later, so then maybe that's like 37 AD. So then he would have spent like anywhere from 10 to 20 years on missionary journeys before he wrote Romans. So to kind of give your mind some ability to think through those things. Okay, so he's been at this work for a while. He's been traveling around. He's been spreading the gospel. Um, as we'll see here in a second, this church that exists in Rome probably was started by somebody he had converted uh, in the past. And the idea was is that he wanted to go to Rome. He'd never been there. And that after he went to Rome, he wanted to go to Spain. We'll get into that too. And it's believed that he wanted to make this his base of operations. So he'd been in Antioch, he wanted to go to Rome, and he wanted to sort his kind of missionary base of operations there. Uh, we don't think it really happened that way because things changed, but anyway, that was the idea. Okay, so again, that was history. If you like that, great. All right, recipients. So who uh, received the letter to the Romans? Any ideas? 
Okay, it was the Romans. The Romans got it. That was good. Um, as I said, it was a church in Rome, and not just one church. And so for what it's worth, you know, some of these churches, like when there were letters written or they were, they were mentioned, it was maybe it was just one house church. But this was probably multiple house churches. In chapter 16, he mentioned several different names as if it were different churches, um, and he had not visited yet. It goes without saying that Rome was like the largest and most important city at this time. There were over a million people who lived there, which at the time was a lot. Um, and I think this is interesting. How many Jews were there? It was probably about 40 to 50,000. So it's a good number of Jews. Okay. They said they had 15 synagogues at the time, which I think is interesting. Um, in terms of who started the church tradition, like the Vatican would say, well, Peter started it. We don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, probably it was a convert from either Peter or Paul's missionary journeys. Um, and it was obviously a combination of both Jews and Gentiles is what we'll see a lot during this. Okay, so I know it's a lot of kind of like heavy intro stuff, but hopefully that's somewhat interesting to you. And let's jump in uh, to these posters real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the video itself takes a while. And so talking to David, he's going to actually teach on one through four next week. And this video is on one through four, but we wanted to get it out of the way so that he could have time to teach next week. So if you're tired of videos, we've done a lot of videos lately. Next week, we won't have a video, okay? Uh, but you can see what they split this in, uh, into, what N.T. Wright, he kind of refers to Romans as being like a symphony in four movements, is what he says. And so you got these four movements of Romans. Romans, You've got one through four, five through eight, nine through 11, and 12 through 16. And they do an exceptional job in breaking down this first section. And so we're gonna watch the video. I'll get back up. We'll talk a little bit more, and then we'll be done for the day. So here is uh, the Bible Project's video on one through four. All right, so another thing I want to kind of share as I was looking through this is something called the Romans Road or the Roman Road. Um, has anyone ever seen this or has anyone used this? All right, I don't think it's used as much in the Church of Christ, probably because it leaves out baptism. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, it's really popular like on those little tracks that you'll get or if someone's like standing on a street corner, like they'll, they'll be using a lot of this a lot of times. And this is just a simple way by which we can share the gospel. Okay, so in, in that way, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Maybe it's been misused or overused, but the nice thing is that it all, it all takes place in Romans. And so my thought was is that maybe I can share this with you. Maybe you can like write down the verses in, in your, your notes on your phone or take a screenshot of it, and uh, maybe you can use this someday. Um, so last week, you know, as we we're talking about conversations to have with people, uh, I think it's important to share the gospel. If we'd had more time, I was going to ask you some about that. But let's just kind of jump through this. And I want to just show you these verses and what they establish. And so as we go through these sections week by week, you'll see some of these verses show up. So the first idea in terms of trying to establish the gospel to someone is to accept, like it says in Romans 3, that we're all, we're all sinners. Okay, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, I think that's a tough place to get someone to. Um, as we talked about suicide and depression at the beginning of all that, I think that at our core, we know that there's something not right about us or that there's something that's wrong or that's not as good as it could be. All right, and then after that, uh, this is a topic that um, Tim Keller, when I saw him speak, he spoke really beautifully on. It's the idea that, uh, what, are, what are our wages? Well, our wages are what we earn. And so if I go to work for a day and then I get my pay stub, like th those are my wages. Because of the work I did, this is what I deserve. This is what I earned. Those are my wages. Now, a gift, on the other hand, is not something you earn, okay? Truly a gift, a free gift, is not something that you can work hard enough to get. Think of it like your inheritance. And so if, if you've got a really rich dad and you're a, a trust fund baby and at a certain age, 18 or 25 or whatever, you know, you hit that and you get like $25 million in your bank account, that was not something you earned. Those are not wages. That is a gift. It's an inheritance. And so in a similar way, as sinners, our wage, 
What is our wage? It's death. That's what the work that we've done, the hours that we've put in being sinners, the wages of that is death. But what is the gift? What is the inheritance that Jesus offers us or that God offers us? Well, it's eternal life. And those two things cannot be more opposite. What we deserve and what we get as a gift are two separate things. Okay? Oh, awesome. All right, one sec. All right, moving on very quickly. Romans 5, 8 says is that, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that. Um, Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Again, it's nothing that we do that saves us. It's not our wages, it's, it's a gift. Uh, it's grace, it's mercy. And then for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So maybe this is helpful to you. Maybe you can write those down. You can also just Google the Romans road. And uh, it's maybe just something that starts someone down a path towards uh, believing in Jesus and understanding the gospel. Uh, so as a conclusion, I know we started off talking, if you, were, if you came in late, we talked about suicide <laughs> at the beginning. Um, and again, this, this, this really like, this expert in suicide prevention was mentioning cat videos, distractions. Um, again, I think it's a very broken way of looking at humanity. But if there is no God, if there is no immortality, and life ends in the grave, then really what else other answer do we have? You can come up with a false sense of hope and purpose, or you can just distract yourself. You can try and come up with entertainment to take you out of reality and to not have to think about how broken life is, or you can face it head on. You can ask deep philosophical questions and you can try and answer those things, or you can watch cat videos and distract oneself, right? I think those are the options. And I think a true understanding of a world that exists without God would end with suicide being a pretty good answer. Like, if this is all it is, and if life is pretty miserable, I think I'm going to tap out. It's like if I go on a vacation and I get there and the hotel is terrible, I'm going to move hotels. Like, what's the point? Like, why would I stay here? Nothing's making me. There's no good in staying here. And so I think we have to give a better answer than cat videos or distractions. And not just an answer that we would state, but also an answer that we, we show in our lives. And so if in our lives all we care about is entertainment and sports to distract ourselves from the realities of life, and that's what people see in us, then what answer are they gonna draw from our lives? And so we have to have an answer that's deeper than that. And the answer is, is the good news. And the good news that even though we're hopelessly lost in sin and are deserving of death, that Christ died for us so that we might be justified and saved. Okay, so last week we did this video on conversations that count and Eric uh, led that, did a great job with it. Um, They were saying that sharing the good news of Jesus starts with a conversation that leads to a relationship. Okay, talking to Dudley about this, it's kind of tough because it's convicting because I don't start a lot of conversations asking questions about Jesus or anything deeper than, well, how do you think, you know, Ole Miss is going to be in football this year? I mean, that's about as deep as I get with most conversations. If someone asked me, how was your weekend? It was fine, you know, that's all I do. And so you talked about how conversations that go somewhere can start with something as simple as tell me more or asking questions. And uh, so I'm, I'm convicted to try and do that more now. Um, as you ask these questions, and if you don't have the answers, say, you know what, I'll get back with you, or ask someone else who does. Um, something like this Romans Road concept, and there's plenty of other concepts. These are things that we should be equipped with and aware of so that we can share this truth with people so that they come to knowledge of Christ. As we're faced with people being more depressed and miserable, and they're miserable because they have nothing to give life purpose, truly. 
Uh, there's no sense of, of truth or things that actually matter, and that's depressing. And that leads to suicide. Like, I think we have to shout from the rooftops an answer that's greater than that and a hope that's true. Um, and so knowing that, I think it should compel us to act on that. And so my, my challenge, I guess, is that through this week and through every week is that we feel compelled to share the gospel and that we have those conversations that count. So that's all I've got for this morning. Um, I'm excited. David's up next week. I'm back the week after. I think then David and then, or Grant and then David. Um, keep these posters here if you want to take it because you're going to plan to use it. Great, because there are some extras, uh, but we'll definitely refer to those next week. So that's all I've got. Let me go ahead and, and just, I'm just going to kind of wrap up. Uh, Trey, get up here. You can do it. You'll do a great job. You can do it. Okay, so that is it for our introduction to Romans. I actually, I'm rusty with the podcast. I left out a little section after our uh, Bible Project video on Romans chapters 1 through 4, which I do recommend that you go watch on YouTube right now. It's exceptional the way they do that. They have posters that you can, you can kind of can guide you or your family through Romans. Those are free. Uh, so again, the Bible Project, look up their Romans videos. There's two of them. Um, but after that, I had a little section on uh, the theme of Romans, and I forgot to turn it on, so we just jumped right into the uh, Romans Road section. Um, but, but basically just summarizing what that video summarizes, and so you can go catch that there. Uh, I promise I'll be better next week. We're getting back into the swing of these, and we will be back next week with chapters 1 through 4 of Romans. David Flat will teach on that. And, uh, you know, as we talk about topics like suicide, I do want to kind of reiterate, I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't think that's an easy issue to deal with. I don't think drug addiction or depression or anxiety or suicide are easy or simple topics or something that should just be swept under the rug or just to say, well, Jesus is the answer and that's all that matters. I think there's a lot that goes into that. I think as Christians, uh, we should seek to have relationships and empathize with people and what they're going through. And that yes, there are difficult things, even if you're a Christian, but I do believe that Christianity gives someone uh, hope and it gives them a way of coping with difficult things. It gives a, a way to handle suffering. And I think that's one of the great things about Christianity is that there is a God that created us in His image that gives every person value and importance, and that there is immortality. There is an eternity that comes after this life. So if this life is terrible and you're harassed or persecuted or depressed or bullied, if you suffer, there is hope on the other side of this. And that is what God offers us, and through the sacrifice of Jesus, we get something that we don't deserve as sinful people. Um, and so if, if that story or that good news is something that compels you, um, that's the point of all this, okay? And so I think we should be sharing that with others. We'll talk more about this topic and others next week again. And I uh, just hope you have a fabulous week. We will see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.